Right, before we move on to York Hall, I just want to refer to uh, take a slight sort of... He just ran off. He's just fucking run off. Where's he run off to? Unbelievable stuff. He's run off and he won't leave his phone here because he thinks I'm going to text that bird that he was trying to shag last night. Unless he's on Pornhub. I don't know if he can get a two minute, 30 second clip. Unbelievable behaviour. He'll be back in a minute so we better stop now. Be good. Check right. if he edits this shit. Yeah, yeah. If he doesn't, if he doesn't edit this, it shows that there's no quality control as this goes out the door. Just so you listeners know, right? You no, know, and as audience members, you need to pull him up on this. Yeah, we can't do that. No, like we look to you because he bullies us a lot. Right we back. Don't, we don't see it, but the scars are here. Help. Pray for Terry and Martin. Right. Back to the show. Back to the show. All right. Bye. And welcome to the New Age Boxing Podcast with myself, Andy White, and with me today we have a full outfit of New Age Boxeteers, including Martin Theobald bringing the band back together, and of course, mighty as ever, Mr. Chapandama. He <laughs> <laughs> sounds like he's got rigor mortis. <laughs> Rev to go. Let's do this. I, it's funny because when when I know you're both rev to go, Martin's all animated and he walks in and he's like, "Yep, yeah, ready to go, rock and roll." And Terry almost feels a bit guilty that he's going to come in and start tearing into everyone's eardrums. And now he's got his forehead on the desk. Terry, Terry's the uh, the fighter who doesn't really like start until the sixth round. <laughs> That's why we get to the end and we're all I'm a Gallagher fighter. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and he just hammers it with, uh, yeah, with a few tirades. Well, we've got lots to talk about today. Um, obviously, covering the Triple G Jacobs fight last night um, in some depth, because obviously you saw it as well, right, Martin? Obviously, Martin has got kids and gets no fucking opportunity <laughs> to watch it, so count me out for now. Uh, and I didn't see it, so it's, it's down to Terry. Why didn't you see it? Just out of interest? Because I was out. That's all that needs to be said. Okay. Just, just, just put Andy it out had, there. Andy had the band last night. Andy was playing in God the band. God's sake. Yeah. <laughs> all the small things. <laughs> Make sure you got his rim shots in. This is, I'm dedicated to you, listeners. Don't worry about anything else. Behave. Moment he gets Wembley Stadium, he's out of it. Well, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no. Never. He sells more than Joshua Klitschko. <laughs> Uh, but not Frotch. I could never top Frotch <laughs> when he fought in front of 80 billion people in Wembley Stadium. Yeah, tickets <laughs> all straight through StubHub. <laughs> okay, yeah, well, there's loads of other stuff to talk about. All right, let's just go straight in. Golovkin Jacobs, um, Terry, was, I, this is what I heard, Jacobs was unlucky. Now, I don't have a source for that, but from what I saw on, uh, on Google as I searched for the highlights, which I found poor, uh, poor representation or uh, I just heard that Jacobs was unlucky is this in remotely true 
Always try Daily Motion. If you can't get a full fight, normally Daily Motion. YouTube take piracy seriously. Daily Motion really don't. <laughs> Nor do they take pornography seriously as well. So free resource for most of the things. Or Davy Boy Essex on uh, Twitter. <laughs> Davy Boy Essex seems to have his hands on every fight going. Perfect. He's legit. <laughs> Shout out to the man. Um, so let me start by setting the scene. You have a lot of people with a lot of opinions about boxing, right? And... Most of these people watch one fight a week. And they'll normally watch it on YouTube, having read about it already. So very few people watch fights of any great volume or significance to understand how fights are supposed to go. I love Terry's sweeping statements. <laughs> <laughs> this reminds me, this starts off like uh, Mark Noble. Did you see his comments about West Ham? He's like, most people don't know about football these days. <laughs> <laughs> Slated his entire. <laughs> it is, and, and, I'm not, and I'm not afraid to say this: the the Twitverse can have a go back if they want. But listen, when you watch a lot of fights, and you know, live fights, fights on YouTube, fights on TV, over time you learn to separate the reality from the bullshit. There is no way you could give Golovkin that fight yesterday. I don't care whether you have it to Jacobs by a round or you have it as a draw. You could never give that fight to Golovkin. Um, some idiot trying to put fucking punch stats up. And the thing about punch stats, let's deal with punch <laughs> stats as well. People go, look, here punch stats. Therefore, that tells you Golovkin threw more punches. And you're thinking to yourself, doesn't really tell me about the meaningful aspect of these punches. And also, the thing I always hate about punch stats is that, you know, if you throw 50 more punch, if you land 50 more punches than the opponent, it looks great on paper. But, it's a 12-round fight. Like, what if all those 50 punches happened in round one? Then you could have lost the other 11 rounds easily. Pe- people hide behind stuff because they try and pretend that they're experts. But really, man, you're fucking desk jockeys. And there's nothing wrong with that. Right? In that fight, what you saw was... I think Jacob's trainer is Andre Rosier. You saw a man step up into coach of the air territory with the game plan he drew up. And he knitted together everything he had seen give Golovkin trouble. So, Willie Monroe Jr.'s movement and ability to circle both ways confused the life out of Golovkin until he landed that shot. Dominic Wade tried something similar, and you suddenly started to realise movement confuses the fuck out of Golovkin. Once Golovkin can't set his feet, he's not as dangerous. Kelbrook then showed fast rapier-like combinations are what you need to earn Golovkin's respect. And then all Danny Jacobs did is layer a bit more power and menace over there and his size. So missing the weigh-in so he could, he could come in at 178 or 180 pounds, whatever the hell he came in at. Masterstroke, because for 12 rounds he was completely mobile. What happened? Explain. You missed. So, so the IBF have a check weight on the day of the fight, which means you can't be 10 pounds heavier than you weighed in it. And so Jacobs said, no, I'm not going to do the weigh-in. Don't care about the IBF belt. Really, if I beat Golovkin, I'm the best in the world anyway. So screw your belt. I suppose that's a it's a te- it's a, a tactic, but it's, to be fair, if he'd have beaten him, you know, it would have carried a lot more weight than the belt anyway, really, wouldn't it? Well, there were three other belts available, so so it's only the IBF that it was only the IBF that only have the this... IBF have that rule. The rest of the governing bodies we have don't. covered that before, then, haven't we? Yeah. So so Jacobs, when they were telling us that they were ready for Golovkin, we all thought, yeah, all right, heard it before, heard it before, but. They covered every base on this one, so making weight. So 
I know his his strength and conditioning guy, a guy called Dave Honig, aka Scooter, trains LL Cool J and most of the celebrities out of New York. Um he clearly knew how to get him down so he could weigh in at 160 and balloon up to 176 or up to 180. And that's an important part of it now because then you're a bigger man and you're back probably towards your natural fighting weight and you're able to execute your plan. He boxed solidly for 12 rounds and had he not been knocked down by Golovkin, no one would be saying this fight was close. And to us, the knockdown was just him being careless. He, He caught a right hand on that juncture between jaw and neck. You know, it's the same place where Khan gets hit a lot. And then he, he went down, but he wasn't dazed. I suppose I had Jacobs 7-5, to five, um, factor in the Golovkin knock, knockdown by, by a point. But it was a comfortable win for Jacobs. I can't understand how they gave it to Golovkin. I I thought it was poor. Um, you know, guys like Dan Rayfield's cards were off. Ron Lewis from the Times, his card was horribly off. It, what was the final score? Uh, it might have been... It's either, was it, there were two lots of things, 115, 112, 116, 111, can't remember, and one lot of 114, 130. So there, oh, okay, so that's quite tight. Yeah, but the other two, you're like, you're saying Golovkin won by three rounds swing. Show me, you can't, they're not, there aren't three rounds I could definitively give to Golovkin yeah. in that fight. Anyone watch it back with a, with, with a reflective head and then say, what did Golovkin do that made him deserve to win this? Because <laughs> from what I saw, Jacobs controlled him on the outside, never let Golovkin set his feet. Golovkin kept throwing that jab. It's almost like someone trying to knock on the door to get in. And Jacobs was like, no, nah, no Jehovah's Witnesses. Where, where did this fight take place? Um, Madison Square Garden. Okay, so question. Um, if Tim Fall hat time, if Tyson Fury can go and win against Vladimir Klitschko in Germany, why can't Danny Jacobs beat Golovkin in America when... You know they are bet they are significantly as as I'm taking from what you've said better. What 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 motivation would there have been to not give it to Jacob? A short, stocky Mexican, pretty much. <laughs> um, think if you think about HBO, HBO, and that's also Canelo's network. They don't want Jacobs versus Canelo. There's no money in there. There was no money in Golovkin Jacobs. I'm, I can guarantee this pay per view didn't cross two hundred thousand buys guarantee it it didn't so Golovkin would have had to have been knocked out to get a draw basically he'd have to be dead Jacobs to get dead no he'd have to be dead and buried and then they'd go right okay it's a draw (laughs) but but to be honest I thought Jacobs won comfortably but the real winner in this is Canelo like Canelo just sat at home and just clapped and went so you're telling me right now I can fight Chavez Jr. in May I can fight Jacobs in September and sell it as I'm fighting the real winner of that fight. I'm fighting the real champion of the world. And then he can just go, I'll fight Billy Joe Saunders. Or he can fight Billy Joe Saunders in September and say to Billy Joe, look, don't fight in Kazakhstan. September, we'll fight. You'll make three times the money. Fight Jacobs afterwards. And then if he can be bothered in September 2018, he just might fight Golovkin. So, yeah, Canelo wins. I think Golovkin's reputation is damaged. And I think, we now understand why he didn't go to 168 because against bigger men who are mobile, he struggled. You know, Ward would have decimated him. We now we can now say that you know Ward on the inside would have decimated him. Ward on the outside would have controlled him. So was this then a watershed moment where it exposes Golovkin? No, you've been on this pod. You know, everyone who's followed the podcast knows after the Brook fight, I say Golovkin's been exposed. 
We now know how to get at Golovkin. It's just that Brook wasn't physically able to do so. So the days of Golovkin being a standout world sort of champion are numbered? Well, was he ever a standout? Well, you can't argue that he wasn't, you know... So, so, least, so... so uh, uh, well, at the very uh, least, he's uh, been... Ah, uh, now, now I'm starting dominant. to warm up. So earlier in the week, I got into a debate... <laughs> he's landed a right hook! Nah, nah, earlier in the week, I got into a debate with, with John... We'll call him John D. That, that's his Twitter handle. Uh, it might be John Deeney. Um, writes for another platform. It's not our platform, so we don't care about the platform. <laughs> and he was trying to argue with me that we should look at Golovkin and Hagler the same way. And I just... <laughs> And I'm I'm there responding going, you're really going to compare Marvellous Marvin Hagler, a guy who fought Hall of Fame talent with fucking Golovkin. Golovkin is, Golovkin is some marketing experiment in a digital agency. Can we take a guy from absolutely nowhere and make him a household name? And the answer to that is no. I like Triple G. I think Triple G is more than entertaining. I think he's good for boxing in so many ways. I like his style. The problem is that Abel Sanchez style in its truest form only worked with Terry Norris and it worked with Terry Norris because Terry Norris had the power that Golovkin has, but that dynamism and that movement that Danny Jacobs has. When you're slow and ponderous like Golovkin, all it takes is a bit of speed, multiple shifts of direction and, I mean, he's confused. So I just laugh at people who said, ah, Floyd's scared of Golovkin because Triple G wouldn't land a shot on Floyd Mayweather. I think where you're coming from, Andy, is that Golovkin has an aura about him, I guess, is that, uh, you know, he's gone in this knockout streak of holding the world title. And there's been many, you know, the fact that Canelo hasn't been willing to get into the ring with him makes it appear as if the best in the the division aren't willing to share a ring. You know, we saw what Lemieux did last week to Curtis Stevens and that horrible knockout. We saw what Golovkin did to Lemieux. Um, so, I mean, in it, it's an era where it isn't packed with great middleweights to challenge Golovkin, and Golovkin has beaten those that have been put in front of him. But, you know, having not seen it, and, you know, I'll take your word for it, Terry, I've not really seen many people that think Golovkin came out on top of that fight at all. It has echoes of Lara versus Canelo. Yeah. That, that, that's, that was the closest thing I could think of in, in the terms of... Give us a backstory. So, so Lara versus Canelo was contentious because Lara basically stayed on the outside for the whole fight, pot-shotted, but made Canelo feel really uncomfortable in that ring. But they still gave it to Canelo by a reasonably wide margin. But most people would accept... If it wasn't a draw, Lara had an argument for winning that fight. And it was it was it was a mirror of this fight where you had Lara who committed when he wanted to and then tried to control proceedings from the outside versus Canelo who wanted to get on the inside and really, you know, go to work on the inside. Um and it's interesting because Lara has always wanted to fight Golovkin. So we'll see if that fight happens next. I don't imagine Golovkin will be chasing the Canelo fight until he can repair a bit of the damage that's been done from this one. Has anyone ever tried to adopt those Lara techniques to tr- to fight Canelo since? William Monroe Jr. No, no, not to fight Canelo. Actually, William Monroe did it against Golovkin until he got tagged, but it was working. You know, the, Floyd did it against Canelo. Anything you see with these guys, if you're dynamic and you don't let them set their feet, then all they have is a pawing jab while they try and figure out what the hell's going on, and that's all really Canelo has when you start to move around him. Okay, so on the undercard of the Triple G, or the uh, Comprehensive Jacobs victory, uh, we had 
Wisaxil Wangek versus Roman Gonzalez. I think I just about managed to not bastardize that name too much. How did that go? Great fight. Um, that, that That's one of those where there's an argument to put that in fight of the year. You had in Roman Gonzalez, the hipster's choice as pound for pound king. Always thought it was bullshit personally. Um, number one, I just don't think you can be that small and be pound for pound number one. I don't care what anyone says. I love it that he brings it up and then says it's bullshit. <laughs> Horribly overrated as a fighter because look, like, like, Adult men shouldn't weigh 112 pounds. Let's just be brutally honest. Like that's like seven year old weight. I stood next to a flyweight at your goal last night, and he said, oh. "I weighed in at uh, 108. I think it was he weighed in at." And, uh, his, his coach next to him went, "I was fucking born heavier than that." <laughs> that's uh, there you go. Like you mean, grown men shouldn't be that size. But, but <laughs> shouldn't. I just don't know what he's supposed to do. But but let's let, let's let's sidetrack that for a second. In in Strisikel, whatever his name is. The lad just came to fight. Like <laughs> you can't describe it any other way. I don't know if there was a game plan there, but It'll the guy just up. showed up and said, "I'm fighting, and if you don't knock me out, this is going the distance, and you're going to get hurt." Badly. He head by him at one point. I think that's really unfair to say. I, I thought the ref deducting the point for the headbutt was out of order. Um, he cut Gonzalez with a clash of heads. So, but. Here's the problem. Gonzalez's defensive style is to shift head levels a lot. So he he will he will dip to the left, he'll dip to the right, depending. Srisakal does what the hell he wants. There's there's no rhyme or reason to it. So what ends up happening is he will dip left when you expect him to dip right, and so you get a clash of heads. Orthodox versus Southport, it happens. I thought the ref was out of order. I don't think there was any malice in the head clashes. I think it was literally they were fighting for the same space. And I don't think you should have a duty of care over your opponent when moving your head because, you know, Holyfield made a career of not giving a shit, to be <laughs> honest with you. But he drops Gonzalez, I think it's in the first round, with a body shot that catches Gonzalez off balance, but I think he's still got to call that a knockdown because he didn't slip, he went over. And that from then, Gonzalez is chasing the fight. I don't think he thought it would be that hard. Psychologically, it took him at least six rounds to get back into the fight, and then he was just playing catch-up. Through the cleaner work, but this Strisical did the one thing I love watching. And he'd throw punches with so much rotation that he'd almost over-rotate and all the counters coming back would miss because he'd gone so far the other way. <laughs> <laughs> and then ironically, because he'd gone so far the other way, he was loaded up for another shot. So then he'd come back with another shot. And you're watching this guy and the intensity <clears throat> behind every punch. He, it was like he was fighting to feed his family. And I like to see that hunger in the ring. Um, I can understand people being upset that he won. It's a contentious one. The American fans think Chocolate Tito won. Roman Gonzalez, sorry. I'm happy to see this lad win. Like he he came to fight. I don't think Roman Gonzalez figured him out. And by the time he realised he was out of his depth, he wasn't prepared to stand there and fight early enough. And he paid a heavy price. So this could be a new fight technique, like, not- similar to the double punch that I brought up last week. No, 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 no. Well, no, no. It's it's so when it when it works, when the punches connect, it means that they've got that maximal rotation. So you've maximized your power. When they don't connect, then they just miss by miles. But to divert for a second, this has just been a good quarter for boxing. Um, 
I'm not upset Gonzalez lost. This is the kind of loss I think boxers should take. He went out on his shield. Uh, his reputation is not damaged by losing this. Um, too many boxers are obsessed with being undefeated. This is a good defeat to have. I imagine there'll be a rematch, and I imagine Gonzalez will box better, and he'll probably win the rematch. And then the, the hype train will be back in full, full gear again. So, uh, but good fight. If you've got 40-odd minutes to watch that, definitely worth watching. Um, not too much clever tactically, just two guys who are prepared to mix it on the inside with real heavy committed shots. Okay. Um, were there any other fights of note on the undercard? Um, Andy Lee is back. Oh. Um, didn't catch Andy Lee fight. Nah. But generally just happy to have Andy Lee back. He, you know, he, he gives people options because I think he's credible at middleweight. You know, you've got Eubank Jr. being vocal again now that the middleweights are under discussion. So let's see what fights can be made in that space. But good to have Andy Lee back, good to have Andy Lee winning. I think just genuinely one of boxing's good guys. Okay, so we had Liam Smith. Uh, this is what I have down. Liam Smith fighting on, uh, in Barcelona on the snide last <laughs> night. That's a Martin note, so explain, please. Right, so this comes out today um, that Liam Smith has fought over in Barcelona last night in a four-rounder against a guy ranked on BoxRec as the fourth best Romanian middleweight. <laughs> The fourth best Romanian middleweight. Wow. A fucking four-rounder in like a ledger centre in Barcelona. So this is Liam Smith, who's fighting Liam Williams, who's the British uh, super welterweight champion. Um, sorry, Terry, am I interrupting your... Uh, have you heard some background noise? Terry's just checking out some highlights. That's not getting edited out either. We're suffer. leaving that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, Pornhub. Um... Yeah, so it comes up loud, doesn't it? Sometimes, Terry. <laughs> Incognito. There were male uh, voices you heard. That's incognito. right, male voices. Boxers uh, bashing each other <laughs> in the ring. <laughs> Kel Brook. Uh, no. <laughs> Why? No, I meant on your phone on the on the cover. Um, right. So Liam Smith. Fights out in Barcelona. So Liam Williams is fighting in April on the undercard of Flanagan Petrov. Um, Liam, so I've lost my train of thought. It's all that porn hub, mate. Liam Williams is the British title holder. So as it stands, the fight is technically for the British uh, super welterweight title. Um, but Canelo beat Liam Smith, knocked him out for the uh, WBO world title. Canelo is since vacated that title. So the world WBO world title is going spare. So you wonder why is this all linked? Why is it relevant? Well, <laughs> one of the, the WBO's rules is that you can't fight for a vacant world title if your last result was a knockout loss, which Liam Smith's was to Canelo. Oh, my God. <laughs> and so, so crappy. And so on the snide, they've flown Liam Williams over to... Sorry, Liam Smith over to Barcelona to beat Romania's fourth best middleweight in a four round a four rounder. This is a world title. Jesus Did it go Christ. the distance? It went the distance. It went all four <laughs> rounds. <laughs> so he's gone over to fight a four rounder. A four rounder. This guy doesn't even qualify as a bum. <laughs> Look, you have four rounders at the start of your career. Like that's guys who are like two, three, and zero oh as they're building up. A four rounder out in Barcelona, and so. 
don't be surprised if you see the WBO World Super Welterweight title get attached to Liam Smith versus Liam Williams because he now qualifies for that fight because his last result isn't a knockout loss. I, I thought you weren't allowed to uh, to compete for the belt if your last fight was a knockout. It wasn't. Well, it was. I remember it was, seeing it. lost to Canelo. Uh, no, nah. uh, no, no. It was down the old uh, ledge centre when I got into a fight with some Romanian lad <laughs> in Barcelona. That's basically what's happened. Like... Yeah. Was he just out on the stag, dude? <laughs> <laughs> Literally out on the piss Friday. And they just said, Liam, mate, are you in Barcelona? Yeah. Um, got a Romanian lad in there. He's waiting tables till about five, but it's good to go anytime after five. <laughs> it was like it was like um like one of those WWE outside broadcasts. They just got into a fight and a ref just comes out of the cafe normally and just goes, go! <laughs> normally someone gets chucked over a bridge at the end. Or like, do you know what I mean? It's, um, so look, it's it's snide. There's a reason I use that word. Snide. However, there's a little part of me that respects Frank Warren and Co for organising this because they've seen an opportunity. Clearly, you know they have many WBO title fights on their shows. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a nice way of putting it. Yeah, um, and they've seen the opportunity here, presumably. Like, I'll be shocked if that WBO world title doesn't end up on the line in that fight. It certainly pays homage to boxing's shifty ways at times, which just does my head in. Yeah, so I'm in two minds about it, really. One is it's a very snide way of getting around the rule book, and the other is you've got to kind of admire somebody for spotting an opportunity and opening it up for their boxers. Um, You know, it's a... I don't know. It it doesn't sit comfortably with me. The bit I like is this was not a leisure centre in Runcorn. (laughs) <laughs> they took him out of the country to get away with this and like presumably hoped nobody would pick up on it like nobody at all and yeah now we've spotted it <laughs> uh, how did you find out about it uh, I'd seen something on uh, Twitter I, I got word about it last night that uh, something might be happening so when I saw stuff about it on Twitter today it was uh, mm. confirmed um, but yeah just what an odd, one odd situation. Liam Smith, a world title fighter, fighting a four rounder out in Barcelona on a Saturday night is just odd. I'd love it if he lost. <laughs> um, Terry, can you please explain to me what a technical draw is, or, or mine? Either of you want to jump in? It, um, like, is what? And and if there, and if it's if it's a very straightforward answer, why is it not just called a draw and a technical draw? Four rounds or under, yeah. if you get a head cut, uh, that's un- you know, if it's not uh, through a punch, if it's through a clash of heads, if it's before the fourth round, they can't go to the scorecard, so it has to be a technical draw. And so after that period, it's then just called a draw? It, it, no, after that period, they can go to the scorecards after four rounds. In which case it would either be called a draw or a split decision or, someone or something. Or someone wins. Of course, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, but, but it would only be called a draw. There's a technical draw and a draw, right? They're two different things. So a technical draw, yeah, okay, yes, yeah. you know that something causes this to be stopped early. Right. And normally after that, you'll look at it some form of rematch. So can you get a technical draw after four rounds for any reason? Oh, I don't. It, it's irrelevant. Well, well, Why do you care? No, no, so I like to no, know no, no, these you, things. You could if, if the clash of heads happened and the scorecards were dead even. But then that's a draw. Is it? It's not a technical draw. Well, no, no, if the fighter can't continue. So if you get smashed in the nuts and you can't carry on and the guy's not disqualified, then it's, well, what are the scorecards? You need better nuts. Yeah, because, excuse me, it's not really a draw. Yeah, because um, Isaac Lowe, technical draw. 
uh, happened this weekend. So, yeah. tell me about it. Isaac Lowe, um, super featherweight from uh, up Manchester way, Morecambe way, cousin of Tyson Fury. But isn't everyone from up north his cousin Seymour? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> everyone, you know, with the, the travelling background, which Isaac Lowe's got, who's from up north, seems to be related to Tyson Fury in some way. Um, but yeah, Fury went over with him. They were going to the... Uh, uh, Derek Kalen, Dennis Kalen, I can't remember the first name. Um, and they went over and there's a clash ahead. So I feel really, really bad for Isaac Lowe. I've chatted with him a few times. Nice young man. Doesn't get any exposure at all. Um, I know he's considered kind of quitting the sport before and there's been no coverage whatsoever of him going out, um, you know, as the away fighter for this to challenge for the European title. It's the biggest night of his career. None of the kind of mainstream boxing uh, media has caught up on it at all. Um, And he goes out there and they have a clash of heads early on. The fight gets called a technical draw. Um, and you've got to feel sorry for the lad because that's a big, big opportunity. And I hope he doesn't call it a day in the sport. I hope he can carry on. We had a bit of MTK on Friday. Uh, what can you tell us? Okay. Um, so they were MTK, which is now Mac the Knife, used to be MGM, uh, Macklin's Jim Marbella. They've started doing shows uh, up and down the country. They had one out of Brentwood um, on Friday night. It was uh, broadcast live on YouTube for uh, for viewers to catch at home, which, I mean, it clashed with the Sky one that was being broadcast on Facebook. So whether that affected the viewing figures, I don't know. But, I mean, I watched on and off. I probably watched an hour, an hour and a half of it. Uh, the few lads I know who were fighting... And the viewing figures seemed to peak at about 160 viewers at any one point. It was underwhelming. Um, the fight night itself, I mean, they had like Billy Joe Saunders was on doing commentary for the uh, the main event. There was a technical draw actually on that on Friday night, which was um, Sahal Ahmed versus Idris Hill. Um, but yeah, the main event for it was a uh, young lad, Taylin Jones, um, who... Was fighting against Nick Genman, former Southern Area middleweight champion. Uh, Tay has taken fairly big strides in his career. He's only like his ninth fight, I think, maybe his tenth fight. Young lad does a lot of hard sparring. I know he's uh, he's involved in a lot of gyms around London. Um, and yeah, he was taking on what's a, a big challenge. I like seeing fighters take challenges. He previously fought your lad and Ashley Demets, didn't he, Terry? Yeah. Um, beating Ashley Demets, and I say he takes on uh, Nick Genman, and he got old man a little bit in there really Genman isn't a puncher he's only got two stoppages I think for a fairly checkered career but Genman's a trier do you know like there's no disrespect to Genman at all he's a trier uh, in boxing he's never going to reach any higher level than area championship uh, I'd suspect but yeah he uh, he was doing some really clever stuff so when um, Taylin Jones got hurt, he got dropped about three times. Again, fair play to Tay. Bit down his gum shield, got up every time. Um, but it was just, it was a real, um, it really highlighted the difference between an inexperienced fighter and an experienced fighter. Every time Taylin Jones was getting hurt, which was quite often, he was um, like trying to hold on, but he was holding with the arm closest to the ref. And the ref's like, you know, straight away, noticing it, picking it up, telling him not to hold, breaking him up, and it lets Genman go again and again and again. Um, the corner of Taylor Jones was shouting instructions. You could hear it all because there weren't that many 
people in there, or you know, the noise wasn't that big in in the Brentwood Leisure Centre, or they were picking the sound up very well. Don't know which one it was. Um, <laughs> but every time Taylor Jones's corner called to him mid round, he would turn and look at them, and I'm like, "What are you fucking doing?" <laughs> <laughs> just such an inexperienced move against someone like Jenman, who would then, you know, take the opportunity to close that distance each time. Um, and then when Jenman got hurt, he took a really flush right hand over the top. He would hold, but he'd hold with that arm opposite to the referee. <laughs> so the referee doesn't see that he's holding and he buys himself a bit of time in doing so. Um, so yeah, it was just, it was a good fight of young, inexperienced lad against a bit of a, a veteran warhorse in there. And it showed, you know, Taylor Jones probably got more potential in his boxing career than where Nick Jenman's ever reached or ever likely to reach. Um, but it showed the difference between if you know what you're doing in that ring when it gets tough and if you don't know what you're doing when it gets tough. That's the paradox, I guess. And I want to refer back to the Jacobs fight. What I liked about Danny Jacobs in his fight was his ability to, when he realized that the range wasn't in his favor, he just went, he literally went shoulder to shoulder with Golovkin and said, there's no space to punch here. I let the ref give me space again and get back on my jab. And it's those sorts of things I don't think in Britain we can't we learn anymore because we're so obsessed with the amateur straight into pro thing that you kind of box like an amateur. You you know, you box clean, if that makes sense. Whereas someone like Jenman won't box clean. He will box in that way that says, actually, I need to show a bit of nous here. You know, cut a few corners. Yeah, yeah. Just as you said earlier, just old man him and let him know that there's some dark arts in this game, and if you don't master them, then they'll be done to you. You only learn them over the years. You don't learn yeah. it in nine fights like uh, Tay's had. Okay, just before we move on, uh, I'm just going to refer back to the GGG Jacobs fight because we have a question from David McGinley. Our only question for the pod this week. Oh no, I think we actually just had one late doors, haven't we? Um, regardless of how you feel. Last night's fight went, uh, oh, fuck's sake. Okay, before we move on, I want to just cover a question that we've got from David McGinley uh, in reference to the Triple G Jacobs fight. Uh, we've already obviously spoken exactly how you, uh, you saw it, Terry, anyway. I see a lot of people today saying that if Jacobs could outbox Triple G, then Billy Joe Saunders would totally outbox him. But my thought is that GGG was more nervous about Jacobs' power, which had an influence that wouldn't be similar if he fought Saunders. Do you agree? Um, well, there's a lot of stuff in there I need to unpick. Now, number one, I don't think Golovkin was nervous of Danny Jacobs' power because Golovkin has sparred Kovala. So I don't think that's a factor. I genuinely think you need to give Danny Jacobs' due. What he was able to do was stop Golovkin setting his feet. And once you do that, like 70% of what Golovkin does well is out the window. So he can't come with the body and head attack because you're not there anymore. Or, in Jacobs' case, as soon as he felt that the pressure was coming on, he just planted his chest on top of Golovkin's and said, all right, now no one can work. We'll go back to what we said before. Billy Joe would have to have the attributes that Jacobs has. So that immensely long reach, the height, the ability to walk around at around you know, 180 pounds on fight day. You know, all of these factors, like, don't don't dismiss what Danny Jacobs did as just, oh, he ran around for 12 rounds and outboxed him. Um, from the little bits I've heard from Scooter, this has been a well-planned offensive. From They knew eventually they'd have to fight Golovkin, so they've planned for this, much in the same way Groves had planned for Carl Froch. You know, 
years and years of planning. So let's have some respect for that team. Um, Billy Joe would have to go through his own process. And I think in Adam Booth, you have the best person to execute on whatever plan is likely to defeat Golovkin. So Billy Joe has a chance. It would just have to be in a different way to what Danny Jacobs did. Okay. You got any thoughts about that, Martin? Right. Tell us what happened in your call on Friday and Saturday then. I'll leave Friday to uh, Terry. I was down there last night. Um, a great show. It was a great show. It was a, a Goodwin boxing show. Undercard was all right. Um, standout from it was, I mean, I speak about him fairly often, but Linus Eudofia looked um, very, very good. Uh, second round stoppage, I think it was, in his fourth fight. Um, just looks a very classy outfit. Three kind of headline fights. Uh, fight number one was Josh Kennedy uh, versus Michael Ramabalatza, which was uh, English super bantamweight title fight. Now, Josh Kennedy is a character. He went up to featherweight, won the Southern Area title in his last fight, has dropped back down to super bantamweight to fight for the English title. He comes down to the ring dressed in 70s like pimp outfit, Rapping his way to Ice Ice Baby. This is a white man. Let's not <laughs> let's not confuse the issue here. Dude comes out rapping to Ice Ice Baby horrifically as well. Forgets the words halfway through. Picks them back up. Like he's there to entertain. He's um, yeah. He's a bit of a, a case. Um, really interesting fight. Ramon Balatz is a guy who uh, over the years has been misused. I suppose is probably the best way of putting it. He's been in with the likes of Paul Butler. Um, he's been in with some very good names around that weight up and down through the weights he's got a mixed record I think as many losses as he's got wins uh, gets this opportunity and he's taken the full for the first time he's had a full training camp uh, for a fight and he's teamed up with Oliver Harrison up north um, and he caused a lot of problems for Josh Kendi Josh Kendi's a fairly well decorated amateur from down south um, and he had nightmares with Michael Ramabalatza. It went to the points. Uh, it was a split decision to Josh Kennedy. Josh Kennedy got floored in the sixth or seventh round. Uh, took a big right hand off Ramabalatza that fucked him up for probably the best part of three rounds. I would say from the next for the end of that round and the next two rounds, he couldn't land a punch. Like his timing was off. There was no snap whatsoever. Um, and for me, Ramabalatza won it by one, maybe two rounds. Uh, I was surprised, to say the least, that uh, Josh Kennedy picked up the win from that. Uh, next fight up was uh, another English uh, title fight, which was John O'Donnell versus Eric Ochieng. Uh John O'Donnell, a guy who has been Commonwealth champion at welterweight, uh, he fought on the Floyd Mayweather, Oscar De La Hoya undercard. You know, he's been there and done it. He's fighting Eric Ochieng, who arguably his best days behind him. Now, Eric Ochieng, um, his, it was won by John O'Donnell. Again, another split points decision. John O'Donnell is a classy boxer. Terry, I don't know how much you've ever seen of John, but his ability to defend with his lead hand, Southpaw, defends with his lead hand. And I don't think Eric Ochieng landed a jab through the whole fight. Every jab he threw... Off the lead hand, John O'Donnell was just bringing it down so slickly, just bringing it down and countering the jab each time. So just defending off that front hand. What's really weird is 
that's basic. Like, like, you, you don't see it that often. Yeah, it's always surprising how, how few people do that. and just go, do you know what? And, and you'll know someone's good in the Southpaw v. Orthodox when they'll just hold their gloves slightly higher than the opponent's. Yep. Just so you can go, okay, anytime you twitch, I'm just going to slap it down. Yeah, and that's all he, through the whole fight. It must have been the most frustrating evening for Eric Ocheng for that because his jab just wasn't there because John O'Donnell... Uh, was able just to pour every single jab down and just flick his own back into the face. Um, it must have been a horrible evening from that sense. It was a case of Eric Ocheng was the far busier fighter of the two. John O'Donnell, uh, if he could bang hard, he would be a world champion in my view. I think he's got all the skills. If he worked harder and if he could punch harder, those I know they're quite significant factors to be missing at times. Uh, he's been very inactive, uh, John, but uh, Eric Ocheng's team have been screaming robbery it wasn't a robbery for me it was a close fight I thought again John O'Donnell won it by probably two rounds uh, maybe three it wasn't a robbery at all which is what Ocheng's team have been claiming over social media um, I said there's just a few things and if O'Donnell can get back and more active and you know not have these long breaks out of the ring and start getting back I know he wants Bradley Skeet uh, I don't think time-wise that works. That was a British eliminator last night. Bradley Skeet's got other fights. He's got Singleton coming up. Day Evans is in the mix. Um, so O'Donnell will probably end up with one of those names somewhere down the line for a British title fight. Uh, I think if he can stay active and actually up his work rate in that meantime, get some meaningful fights. Uh, he's he's just a handful. He's a slick boxer. His movement, his defense isn't with his gloves, apart from defending that jab. His defense isn't with his gloves, it's with his feet. It's just constantly moving, you know, taking a few shots off the arms. But, you know, he just, he's so slick in and out, in and out of um, the danger zone. And I say he just takes so few shots because of the fact that he's got such good footwork. And I say that's, it shows he's a class apart from a lot of boxers that you'll see. Um, final fight of the evening was Wadi Camacho versus Carl Wheeler for Southern Area uh, Cruiserweight fight. It was what it was always going to be, really, which is two big men that can throw hard shots. Um, Wheeler's best chance really was to not try and outbox Camacho, but, you know, try and outland him. And he just wasn't able to do it. Camacho was a little bit too savvy for him, really. A um, little bit too clever in the ring. I think Wheeler was a little bit too agricultural uh, and just wasn't able to make the fight the fight that he wanted. And uh, yeah, Camacho stopped him in the fifth round. Uh, Wheeler had taken some big shots in the fourth. And again, like that man has a fighting heart about him. Uh, he was taking big, big shots in the fourth. He would have carried on. You know, he went down in the fifth, got up. Uh, he would have carried on if it was down to him. But the referee, I think, wisely called it off. Wheeler was very gracious in defeat and, uh, you know, gave Camacho a lot of praise. But yeah, it was uh, the whole show was it was a really really good event, um, and just some of the fights on there would have would have graced TV shows, would have graced a TV station. It's it's a shame some of these events don't go out to to bigger audiences. Terry, do you want to fill us in on the Friday night showing? Um, so Friday was the debut of Eddie Hearn's Next Gen, sponsored by JD Sports. The king of trainers. They don't so sponsor us. Fuck them. Well, they might do. You know. No, no, they, 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 they might, said they, with they, such they, enthusiasm. This is why they don't sponsor us. <laughs> no, 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 no. We might get them to sponsor us. We, we, we might, we might get them to make. Fuck them. I'm more sports. Jenny Sports, the king of trainers. Like, chill out, Terry. Guys, guys, Fucking remember, hell. Guys, he rips into everyone, and suddenly JD Sports is the nuts. <laughs> 
Yeah. Look, look, I need someone to make my, my boxing gloves. I've decided if no one's going to send me any, I'm making my own. Ammo wear. They need yeah. to sort it out. Nope. I'm making my own. Seven wolves. I'm just giving them to people. I don't even want to sell them. I'm going to give them to people. <laughs> I, I want to collapse the whole boxing glove market. I'm going to give them to people for free. Um. So, back to Mr. Hearn. So, I think Eddie's realised that, you know, you can't put some of these guys on undercards because it's not necessarily too much of a risk, but it is too much of a risk. So, he's going to let his his next generation bubble and mature through almost like a mezzanine between small hall and matchroom shows. So, he had one at your call on Friday. And first thing to say is, don't get there early because the queues were atrocious. Really? Yeah. They, they, for the number of people they had and the insistence that boxing started at seven, they didn't have enough security staff to do the, the proper checks. And I'm not going to complain because I think you have to have those checks, bearing in mind the kind of people you're going to have coming to the show. So it's good because you don't want to But get me. the timing right if you're going to go through. A, a tweet from Hearn or a message that would have said, listen, security's tight get here at least half an hour to 45 minutes early. And I think that would have solved a lot of problems. But good to see they're taking security seriously. Um, they had a VIP bit <laughs> in your call. So, you know, the, you know the doors you normally go through on the left-hand side? Yeah. So, you couldn't go through those because they turned that into a VIP little annex. Which is just so stupid. I don't think that worked. So, so Eddie can bend that idea. But everything else looked good. The venue looked amazing. The blue lights made the difference. It was good actually having Eddie visible and accessible. Um, the Gale visible and accessible. You know, it was good to see that they were embracing the spirits of, look, let's, let's treat this like a small hall show. We're all accessible. We can stop for a chat, couple of pictures, because it's not a manic O2 show. So overall, I was impressed with how that was set up. Security was good. Crowd management was good. You know, the fighters walking through was good. Streaming it on Facebook was good because we were in the queue for the first fight. So, <laughs> so it was lucky we got to watch that one, actually. Um, so don't even ask me who that first guy was. It was an upset loss, wasn't it? I don't know who was supposed to win in that one. Yeah, the one who didn't. <laughs> Sums it up. But yeah, but just watching watching that fight, I think that sort of set the tone where you're like, these might be quite tasty fights today. And then Jake Ball comes on and just does the business in like 52 seconds or whatever it was. And before people go, oh, Jake Ball fought a bum. That's, I think the guy he fought is a well-known opponent of, and if I, if I get this wrong, someone will pull me up on it. I think Rocky Fielding's fought him. Cam Smith's fought him. Chris Eubank Jr.'s fought this guy. Who else is a super middleweight that, that's of any interest? Um, all of these guys. Frank Buglioni fought him last year, right? So, so Jake was in, not necessarily tough, but he was in with a guy who was meant to give him work. And so a 59-second result is good. Good to have Jake back on board. Um, you know, good to see all the, you know, his team around. It's a team ball who struggled to get in on time, actually, because <clears> they were behind me in the queue. Oh, right. So it got a bit manic. So one of his sponsors, I forget who the lad's, ne the, one of the guy's name, but he, the guy who had the video name, JFB, tell me, the guy who had the Jake Ball video made. So he was behind me in the queue. 
And he has to take emergency action and go, someone needs to let me in now. <laughs> I haven't sponsored him to be out in the queue. So I think he he got in quite early. So that was a that was a good one. Uh, on a side note, big shout out to Umar Sadiq. Hearing that everything's positive on his front. If you guys don't know Umar Sadiq, get behind him. He's he's for me, he's the archetypal boxer. He's he's how I'd like all boxers to be. So he's worldly wise, understands boxing, can actually box, you know, but is very, very grounded. So I'm very high on his potential. And also and if you don't know him, he was a guy who did the black and white vignettes on the Chris Eubank pay per view show. Which, um yeah. which is great exposure for anyone. I've never met Umar. But I have quite a lot of interaction with him on Twitter and I must say he comes across extremely well. Uh, I know from, you know, third-hand information, he's a very intelligent bloke, um, very well-educated and I know he fancies Chris Eubank Jr. in the future <laughs> from what I've read. Um, Mate, he fancies everyone which I, <laughs> and, and, and I like that spirit. So, Slut. So you guys... <laughs> <laughs> so guys, sorry. honestly... <laughs> At top boxer Sadiq, get behind him. He's he's a guy you look at and go, I want him to do well. So definitely a good guy. Wears sunglasses indoors though, doesn't he? It's like O'Hara Davis did on Friday. We need words about this. We need to start <laughs> drawing up acceptable. I'm a 34 year old dad of four white dude, right? I can't get away with wearing sunglasses indoors. I can't be a cool well, young. Without looking like a mental patient. Yeah, yeah. Without getting wheeled <laughs> off. Whereas, like, I'm seeing young, cool, good-looking men like Umar Sadiq going around rocking it. I'm jealous. Like, I, I need to draw up what's an acceptable dress code for, for nah, boxers. Now nah, he had the black shirt this time. Now he's he's making fashion statements. You have to you have to keep tracks on him. He, yeah. Because he he's at that kind of thing where he's a bit like us. A bit too old to be young, way too young to be old. So he, so he, he is, he, he's living that GQ life right now. But no, no, it was good to see him. Um, Felix Cash, fight went the distance. I still need to see more from Felix Cash, but I'm willing to believe that there's something there because he stuck to his boxing even when others would have probably not. So that was a good fight. Um, trying to work out who did the eight-rounder. Who do you have? You had um, Isaac Chamberlain was on, wasn't he? Yeah, so we can touch on that. Isaac was good. Um, that pendulum hook to the body he has where he just touches touches your guard up top and shoots to the body. Incredible. So it's good to see that development in Isaac Chamberlain's game. Reese Bellotti? Reese was the main event. And people. Yeah. I think people now have listed him as one of my prospects anyway. Um, I like all the Bellotti brothers. So Spencer, um, Reese. And young Chris. So I don't know what Chris is going to do, but in the amateurs, Chris was just, you know what? I'm just blasting people out. <laughs> like, just sheer aggression, just willing to fight. All the Bellotti brothers are like that. There's something about South Oxy. So I think from what I've heard, South Oxy is basically a transplant of the East End and not much has changed. It is like being in Bethnal Green in the 60s. <laughs> and it's producing those kinds of fighters, which is good to see. So that was good. Craig Richards um, against Alan Higgins. So a lot of people don't know who Alan Higgins is, which I think is unfair. But around the scene, people know him. Like he, he's an active sparring partner around. He's respected for being tough and he will always do the rounds. So Craig was in tough. And I don't think people give Craig the due he deserves for actually taking that fight. And everyone knows I have a natural bias towards Craig. I've known Craig for a number of years. I'm a big fan of what he's doing and what he hopes to achieve. So I was happy to see him get the win. 
I've subsequently heard that Eddie Hearn gave it to Alan Higgins, a view that I can understand. You know, I, I have a bias, so I was always going to say Craig Richards. But for those who thought Higgins won, there was a valid case for that. I think Craig has all the tools to be a threat at super middleweight. But sometimes you have to impose yourself on a fight and say, I'm not just going to slip and counter. I'm actually just going to take you out and hurt you. But he's learning. And you know, having seen Craig come up through the amateurs, I have no doubt that there's there's significant headroom for him to grow into. So, you know, let's let's be positive and look forward to what he can achieve. Um, we've done Jake. Who's the other lad? There, there, there's a lad I'm missing here. Uh, Put it on pause. Nah. Just wait. <laughs> We're all going to be here checking box rec to see who the Pull other over somewhere. Just I'm wait. <laughs> this, what, are we actually waiting this out? This, this is, is boxing. Listening. This is boxing podcast gold. This is absolute classic. Like, who's the missing guy? <laughs> Let's just mention. There's I mean? people at home going, oh, come on. But but for, for people who want to go to these next gen shows, it's a great opportunity to get close to people you wouldn't normally like James DeGale O'Hara Davis if you really want to meet and find out what these people are like because I know people have opinions on DeGale and people have opinions on O'Hara Davis but I always say do not judge those guys until you have the conversation with them Danny Dignam Paul Highland Jr. so we can ignore Paul Highland Jr. just for now um Danny Dignam that was who I was missing out on so I'm a big Danny Dignam fan we've mentioned him on the podcast but not big enough to remember him (laughs) (laughs) he really stands out in the memory just Danny (laughs) Not someone you forget easily. Do you know, I know uh, Adrian Martin, middleweight, who uh, he said Danny Dignam's probably the best lad he sparred with. Um, so, and I'm going to give credit to one of my friends here. There's a guy called Dan Nolan, and anyone in South London involved in boxing will know who Dan Nolan is, and he really knows his stuff. So, when Dan Nolan said to me, look out for this Danny Dignam, this was a few years ago, I started to follow his, because he's the brother of John Dignam. Who, who was a pro, but it didn't really have a long career. Class. Attacking Southpaw, you know, has every shot. And one of the soft spots I have for him is he throws a lot of the shots that I throw. So, not and obviously, he's at a different level. But I like seeing guys who, who are willing to work the uppercuts, the hooks, and just, you know, really confuse an opponent. And just watching him perform, I think he's the guy who came out of... Friday night with the most credit. I think Eddie Hearn will put some money behind him because he's very unassuming. Like he he'll cause havoc in the ring, but when you talk to Danny Dignam, very humble, unassuming. Another guy you look at and go, I just want you to do well, mate. That's what I want. So summary of where we are with next gen. Be interesting to see where they go next. My expectation is it will be one of either Manchester or Liverpool, and maybe we'll see a different composition of the card. There's some bits that were missing. So while it's great to see all the prospects come up, I think you need to anchor it with with fights that have some significance. Now, I don't know if that means you get the guys at the top of the small hall game to you know have it out, you know, a couple of area-level fights or something like that, but it needs something that's going to just give it that, that heft and that weight. And I think that's what was missing. Your call felt like it felt like an amateur show, not in terms of quality, but in terms of it's the boxers, their mates, their families. There, it didn't feel like there were many outsiders at your call. So, you want to be able to draw guys in just who want an entertaining night of boxing. I don't know how Eddie solves that, 
But for all the people who say I criticize Eddie Hearn, I think this next gen thing is absolutely brilliant. It's something we've probably called for numerous times on this podcast. Um, we're going to say that he listened to us, but he probably did. <laughs> probably. And, and no, no, kudos to Eddie Hearn for that. I think, and from what people are saying on TV, he seemed to be frank and honest. If you're giving something to Alan Higgins and saying that there should definitely be a rematch, you know, it that felt like the Eddie Hearn I'd like to see more of, if yeah. that's what was happening. So no, kudos to him for that. Worth noting, by the way, they, uh, they streamed it live on Facebook and the viewing figures were pretty poor. Uh, I think it peaked around one and a half uh, thousand, maybe 1,800, somewhere around that, which was fairly consistent through the whole thing, which... Um, I know that Matchroom have multiple things to be promoting at any one time, one of which we're going to come on to in a minute that's been horribly done. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know what you're saying there about the the kind of environment and the atmosphere within it. Uh, I think it's probably reflected by the fact that on a free stream, they only managed, I say, one and a half thousand people uh, watching it, which is fairly low numbers, really. Like, I don't really get why it's going out live. I, I do get it, but... You know, you're not going to get the big name sponsors or whatever for those things, particularly, uh, or big money through sponsorship if you've got one and a half thousand people, which presumably is the aim of putting it onto Facebook. Ultimately, is that you start to, you know, wash its own face a little bit cost-wise um, through well, heaven. Well, isn't it something that they're going to have to wait to grow? Mm, potentially, but they've got such a big platform already, Matchroom, that you'd expect to anticipate they could go in at the deep end a little bit rather than I say one and a half thousand to me is piss poor numbers. Okay, um, we have a question um, from Boxing Luton. Or JP Ad- Smith gave me a free right. T-shirt, man. Love JP. Hey, Lots JP, don't get buried, man. Make sure everyone has T-shirts on the podcast, man. Yeah, it's and like, if you've got cool. any like free toasters or anything like that, <laughs> you just want to. JP works for the council, I think. So, so uh, one of those housing, lorries, mate. get some with houses with this green netting on the side, just. <laughs> I need a new bin actually. On a serious note, JP does a lot of stuff for the boxers in Luton. Does a fantastic amount for them. Yeah, he does. Um, no, gets yeah. you know, like you got K Prosper out onto the pitch at half time at Kenilworth Road, which I appreciate for a lot of people is a punishment. But you know, if you're from <laughs> if you're from Luton, it's quite a good thing to get that. <laughs> there goes my t-shirt. <laughs> no, you know what? You know what? no, no. He does a fantastic job. Yeah, we give him stick, but no, no, he, he's one of those guys in boxing I respect because he knows he'll never make a profit from it. This is just a passion and an interest, and he dedicates himself to it. So One of the lady. good guys. but And a lovely man. Lovely but, man. But we're applying school rules here. You, I mean, you present something in the classroom, everyone's got to have some of it. <laughs> right. Um, he asks, not sure if I asked this a while back, but sponsorship in boxing, tax breaks for companies. I feel like we might be grossly unqualified to talk about this. Nope. That being said, let's just tell. Let's just say stuff. So, so, so you have to separate sponsorship from charitable contributions. So you can write off your charitable con- contributions mm-hmm. against tax, or sometimes you get the gift aid thing, which some people like to take advantage of. Sponsorship isn't because sponsorship's ultimate aim is commercial gain. So you can't write off your sponsorship costs against your tax bill. That makes sense. So, unless you manage to like make your sponsorship company no, a registered charity so, or something, so, yeah. So, so instead of instead of looking at it, if you're looking at it as a tax break, you've got to look at it as you, you you're more assessing your ROI, not how much tax can I save, how much return will I get on sponsoring person X or person Y. 
that's why people do it. So if you look at Emirates, Emirates will sponsor the Arsenal Stadium because it, Who bur- knows? it burns the name, <laughs> but it burns the name into the consciousness, yeah. and and they've been smart in how they do that. But you're not going to write off that. But there are some costs you can write off, but that would be in the course of doing business. So it's, it's about managing that. So if you just give someone money a sponsorship, then probably not. If you if you then go, actually, we're going to not only sponsor this, but we're going to invest in equipment. You might be able to either write down on the equipment or capitalize the equipment. So you can write, you, you can play some of it off against tax. So you break... Let's say you buy a boxer, a whole sparring set, head guard, gloves, uh, groin protector, boots, etc. You can capitalize that over five years, the life of the product. And that's probably your best bet in trying to sneak it past the tax man. Just don't do tax returns. It's easier. <laughs> yeah, that's true, actually. They're... And then you don't have to worry about any of it. I've heard, I've heard that you can if just... If you do everything cash in hand... Yeah, then everything. Everything. Yeah. Then no one has to worry about any taxes, <laughs> mate. That's legit. Paying your boxes with bags of money of dollar signs. Because or drugs. Because that's paying drugs. Uh, obviously, <laughs> drugs notoriously don't have tax on them. No. So, it's easy to pay stuff in drugs because... There's no, no tax. No one's going to Government know. are missing out. Yeah. And we all know that boxing and drugs are separated by a million miles and there has never been a connection between the two. So, you know, this is a new era for yeah. again. Okay, with that question out of the way, let's move on to the previews for next weekend. And we have Crawler Lenares, which has weirdly not taken, uh, had a lot of coverage on it over the last couple of weeks, despite the fact that it promises to be a pretty good fight. Yeah, the first fight was a belter. Um, you know, it's one of the rare occasions where two of the top five in their division are fighting. You can make a case for, you know, maybe one and two, one and three. Um, and yet Hearn and Matchroom and Sky haven't really pushed it that significantly. Um, I don't know what the reason that is other than the Anthony Joshua effect and the fact that, you know, they have all their eggs. <laughs> Bless you, Andrew. <laughs> Bless you, Andrew. There you go, live sneezing on the podcast. <laughs> oh, what? Oh, I'll keep it in. <laughs> Brain's coming out of his nose, oh, I think. It's, his nose what the fuck? Oh my god, I don't know if this is staying in or not. Um, it's it's, it's like Michael Jackson's, man. He just went to pieces. Yeah, yeah. It's like Daniela Westbrook, I tell you. Uh, no septum. Um, <laughs> so where are we at? Yeah, Coronarez. Lack of sky coverage. I say they've put an awful lot into the um, the Joshua Klitschko show. Um, and it seems to be to the detriment of a show like this that isn't pay-per-view. So, uh, yeah, I don't know what it says for somebody like Anthony Crawley. This is a legitimate fight. You know, Linares was outstanding last time around. Um, he's a great talent to have over on these shores. I'm sure they're not paying him cheaply because there are other options for Crawler, you know, with the WBC belt on the back of uh, beating... Um, sorry, there are other options for Linares with the WBC belt on the back of beating Crawler last time. So Hearn must have been paying him fairly well to come back over for this fight. And it's surprising that they haven't really pushed it that far. They can't put it on pay-per-view because there's other priorities for the pay-per-view. The Bellew Hay show, uh, the Joshua Klitschko, they're looking presumably at the um, the Brooke Spence Jr. fight going on pay-per-view. So 
this doesn't really have a home. It's not quite big enough in terms of uh, profiles for the fighters to make it pay-per-view. So instead, it's just a very, very good fight with a very, very shitty undercard that I don't even think has been announced, to the best of my knowledge. I've not seen anything on it. All we know is Katie Taylor's on this. Oh, yeah, there we go. Um, Excited. Yeah, so <laughs> I wonder which which fucking bald-headed bird they can drag out of Eastern <laughs> Europe for this one. They won't. They'll just find... That's what they do. No, that's what they, that's their what? model at the moment. They'll find someone Polish from a sandwich factory in Kettering. Yeah. And they'll tell us that she's boxed 25 times. They'll get her out of... be bothered to check. We'll just believe it. Get her out of David Lloyd size class and bring her up to <laughs> the MEN on Saturday night. That's what they'll do because they don't give a fuck. And they treat us like mugs to that extent um, for it. So it's horrible. Um... Crawler Linares, yeah. Um, it'll be, it should be another good fight. We know what Crawler's going to bring. Is the Joe Gallagher style. He can't mix it up. Yeah, maybe he's going to bring a little bit more intensity, a little bit more work rate, perhaps. I think Hearn is probably banking on the fact that the Linares we saw last time out is the best Linares that we could possibly have seen. And that maybe he's going to dip a little bit for this rematch. Maybe he's not quite as motivated. Maybe he's going to get a bit complacent. I think that's what he's hoping for. Whether it happens or not, that's the only way that Crawler wins this fight. If the same Linares turns up, the same Crawler turns up, Linares walks away with it again. Um, I, I can't see it being any different than that unless they know something about Linares' physical condition, which has been a problem in the past. I, I think I think it's a legacy fight for Crawler. You take it because this is your legacy fight and this is the point where you realise I've reached the peak of my career. And then after this, it'll be a Flanagan fight or something of that ilk, or maybe even a Luke Campbell fight. And then, you know, he, it'll just be about making money to, to secure, you know, the family and whatnot. But, but no one would resent that for him. Not for Crawler. He's, he's one of the, he's, he's one of these good guys in boxing. Um, no one has a bad word to say about him. I know that's a cliche, but legitimately with him, he has that spirit that people get excited about. What will the fight be? It'll be that whole thing again, won't it? Keep it tight for the first half of the fight. Open up in the second half of the fight. Linares has seen it now. And hopefully Linares will then do what he can to, to drain Crawler's energy in the early part of the fight. And then have Crawler fighting on machismo and just courage towards the end. And then just pick him off with combinations. You know, will he stop Crawler this time? Don't know. I hope not. But my biggest concern is what's the undercard why am I getting excited about this fight what what, what will Eddie Hearn be feeding me you know like we haven't seen Conor Ben in a while quite like to see him on this card but I think we'll probably run out of time for that one <laughs> see I'm alright you know they're not being an undercard to it this is a big fight it's probably cost a lot of money I don't necessarily have an issue with it I just wish that Hearn would maybe address it I know every now and then IFL interviews he does say, you know, if the headline act costs a lot of money, then, you know, we don't spend a lot on the undercard. That's fine, but there is no undercard, to the best of my knowledge, other than Katie. I don't know who else is on it. I'm, I might be miles off. There might have been announcements about it that I've missed. But Would they put Marcus Morrison on these from around there? Yeah, and if they're doing that, and who's um, Callum Johnson or whatever, the light heavyweight, yeah. it's going to be that level, isn't it? And no one's going to give a fuck about it. Just Is Rocky Fielding on there? No, there's a Liverpool no he's got the Liverpool show. This is a prime example of where they ought to just show one fight. Like, this is a prime example of where Sky Sports ought to turn on at 10 o'clock and turn off at half 11 or whatever, having just shown the crawler fight and then the highlights after and the, the review. There's no need for a full show for this. This should just be a one-fight show. 
And, you know, Katie Taylor fights down the David Lloyd Centre against whoever opponent is. But you see, like, and here's where boxing's messed up because this is the sort of place where you're like, look, just whack some amateurs on there. Whack some young, hungry amateurs who know what they're doing, who, who love that platform, will give it their all, and go, all right, here's the future, guys. Yeah. Get excited about it. Yeah. Okay. To lift the veil somewhat on the podcast as we come to the end. Normally, I'd do argue the inarguable. But... <laughs> In the past, when I've asked about arguing arguable, we've had one person come forth and say they like it. Now, somehow, on a podcast of three people, that is already, that's outvoted by two of the people on the podcast. Well, there you go. Democracy. <laughs> um, on the assumption that I can't vote. And even if I can, it's only a draw. So, on that basis, but in the past, I thought, you know what? The fan counts as... I don't know, treble, so out votes you two, whatever. But are you making I'm, a, a, I'm running out of it. An I'm, indignant plea for people to Well, you know what? Like, come forward with arguing arguments if you want to include them, if you want them. If not, come forward with a different feature, what you'd like to hear. Wait a minute, are we begging listeners to come up with our features? No, but like <laughs> if they would rather if they'd rather have <laughs> some <you> <laughs> No, what I mean is, I'm happy to just end the podcast. We've had one question this week. No, 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 we're not shutting it down, man. We've all got stuff we want to talk about. This is going on for another three hours. If it is. <laughs> yeah. People aren't sending me gloves. I'm thinking, I'm People thinking, aren't sending me t-shirts. You're not sending me rollers. Okay, so the feature can be stuff I want to beg for. I'm not begging, I'm demanding more features. Bury if yeah. Not. Yeah. <laughs> no, listen, next week, I'm listing all the brands I engage with on Twitter. And when I just in the second <laughs> column, Daily Sports King of Trainers. Yeah, second column. <laughs> all the people who sent me stuff. If it's empty, I'm either making my own and competing or burying. Man, this, <laughs> this is I'm on some George W. Bush shit today. <laughs> right, I want to give a quick shout. Um, friend of mine, Arthur Wallace, who's fighting next uh, Saturday in a white collar bout, raising money for cancer research. Been doing a bit of training with him. I know he listens in, so good luck, Arthur. Um, you know, raising money to uh, fight cancer, but it means he gets to go in the ring. And, uh, he's looking sharp. Um, so yeah, shout out to Arthur. Um, and iTunes, right? Following on from Andy's begging there of, uh, oh please give us some features. Like we got a few. Well, I just no to clarify. Please I just want. I'm thinking the audience probably love you and Terry making dicks at yourself. Mate, so mate, help me mate, help mate. you. You're arguing the inarguable right now. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> Chuck us some iTunes reviews, people. It's brilliant. I like reading back on... Like, even if you think we're terrible... like yeah, That gives listening. him the most pleasure, if anything. But, but also, also, guys, tell us, do we need to be on Stitcher as well? I know our American listeners are like, why are you guys not on Stitcher? And well, I, don't I don't know, know what Stitcher is. I don't know either. So Is that like Grinder? Is that, for Americans, grinder for podcasts. <laughs> so we get like matched up with another set of three males. It's like a Survivor Series gay fest. Is that what Survivor Series? How do you get eliminated? <laughs> Full. <laughs> Whoever shoots first. Oh, <laughs> Jesus Christ! Now it's, we've reached another <laughs> new low. <laughs> Was iTunes? <laughs> <laughs> and, we and we brought up soggy biscuits. Uh, like an- <laughs> three on three homosexual encounters. Wow. We might get invites off there. You know that. That might be the comments. Guys, me, Gary, and Phil. Oh, who saw David? One. David Allen with his socks. 
I'm going yeah. off on a tangent there. You know when he weighed in with those uh, yeah. pants down his socks? He suddenly... He, oh, yeah, yeah, He yeah. came out on Twitter saying he got like 4,000 South American uh, followers, like new followers on Twitter. Or Brazilian. And he was saying like, can anyone tell me what this is? And so one of his followers tweeted him back a thread from a Reddit um, thing, which was all in South American, but from a homosexual Reddit thread. <laughs> all these... Is it real or not? All these South American, like, gay community have found this picture of David Allen with his massive penis where he'd stuffed his socks down his pants at the weigh-in and all these South Americans getting really excited about this <laughs> British boxer. <laughs> and so he starts getting these 4,000 odd additional... He'd have to have, like, a kilo of meat in his pants for that to be anywhere. <laughs> that was massive, got, that Robert Sock. Yeah, so he starts getting all these, like, really broken English, like, gay come-ons in his... Twitter messages and his Instagram. He started posting some of them. <laughs> oh, it's wonderful, wonderful stuff. <laughs> nice. Right, do you want to go any lower? I feel like Terry's still got something to add. Yes. I feel like he's revved. Joe Calzaghi. No. Nope. Right. Everyone that listens to this, I don't know how many people listen to it, I probably do, but I don't reveal that number, but it's it, it's in the high four figures, so you you don't worry, you, you guys aren't alone if you're listening in your cars or in your headphones, you're not alone. You probably are after our last conversation, <laughs> everyone else turned it <laughs> off. These figures aren't really up to date right now, especially once it's been released. <laughs> So there, so there was a debate today about Calzaghi. So my, I, I'll nail my colours to the mark. I think Calzaghi was a good boxer. I think good. For, just for, good, just good. Right. From, from from amateur through to pro, he had a style that you don't often see come out of this country. Um, he had all the attributes. He could hit hard. He could box. He could move. He could run. He was supremely fit. But he's a man whose CV does not stack up against the the super middleweights that you know we respect. You know, I hear people say, ah, oh, he fought Hopkins, he fought Roy Jones Jr. and stuff. And you think to yourself, he fought old men. He fought washed up men who had seen better days. You know, and we and what upsets me the most is we ignore guys like Clinton Woods who tested themselves. So Clinton Woods fought Glenn Johnson three times. Just let that sink in for a second. The hardest man in the super middleweight division, and Carl Froch will tell you that himself, as will George Groves, and Clinton Woods fought this man three times. Fought Roy Jones twice. Fought Antonio Tarver. These are all guys who, if you ignore the doping violations, are all boxing greats and have arguments for being in the Hall of Fame. Calzaghi didn't test himself at that level. He fought he fought Eubank at the end of his career. Got a lucky decision against Robin Reed. He fought a Jeff Lacey who, now that we have BoxRec on YouTube, we realise was bullshit to begin with. And Kessler a guy who's only really famous in Denmark and the UK. Let's be brutally honest. And you can't compare him to what Froch did, where Froch said, you know what, I'll fight anyone, anywhere. And he did. He was a road warrior. He fought at home in front of 80,000 at Wembley. He's done it all. So next time people want to say Joe Calzaghi is this great, no, he's not. Joe Calzaghi is a good British boxer who did well, but he's never the equal of Carl Froch, and he's barely the equal of Clinton Woods. then don't come up with these bullshit CVs and say oh he fought this person at the end of the day Joe Calzaghi was at his peak when between 98 and about 2003 tell me who the hell he fought then absolutely nobody case closed don't hear any more crap about Calzaghi he was a prime example for me of um, Warren's ability to milk a WBO title or any (laughs) title really for that matter Um, you know he did it with Ricky Hatton for a while but 
you know, Calzaghe was just fighting a lot of terrible, terrible names. Um, I think the Manfredo fight at uh, Dan and Cardiff probably summed it up the best. Manfredo won the challenger, was it, or whatever the it contender. was? The contender, yeah. And he was the right um, middleweight. Yeah, and like they built it up as this huge fight and he got schooled by Calzaghe. But the, I'm kind of in agreement. I like Calzaghe. I'm not against Calzaghe at all. I just don't think he can be ranked as an all-time great by any means. Um, just because he didn't take on the best that were available at the time, and he had far too many meaningless fights to have, a, you know, a huge Hall of Fame CV. Um, you know, he's he's one of the best British fighters, I think, for you know, of his generation, but not of all time, would be my view. I have a question about an ex-boxer. How good was Ricky Hatton? Oh, he was good. Um, so one of the interesting things is, I think Floyd versus Ricky Hatton is when Daniel Jacobs made his boxing debut. Was it? Yeah, yeah I think that. so. I think he's on the undercard. If that, if that was 2007, I think it was when Danny Jacobs made his debut. You know, a little bit of boxing trivia there. Mm. Um, he fought Mayweather and he didn't, he didn't look out of place at that level. And you imagine that he could have fought guys like Cotto. He could have fought the guys like Mayorga. He probably could have given someone like De La Hoya trouble. But Ricky Hatton essentially was never a welterweight. He was someone who should have flitted between lightweight and welterweight. Uh, sorry, lightweight and low welterweight. So 140 and 135. But he didn't live the life. And when you don't dedicate yourself that way, it becomes harder to do. So at 147, he was too short. Um, and the weight just didn't look natural on him. I think at 140, he, he 140 right now, he'd tear through the division. So Ricky Hatton's a guy who will be in the Hall of Fame. Let's be absolutely clear about this, and he will deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. Wouldn't you love him and Terence Crawford? That'd be a great fight. It would, but only if it's the Hatton that fought Costa Zoo. Yeah, I'm talking Pete Hatton. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, that. Ooh. Yeah. That'd be a at, lovely fight. At 140, that'd be a hell of a fight. Um, Pete Hatton, uh, where does he sit in your... I, I realise pound, we've gone through pound for pound isn't the greatest thing ever. But, right, would he get into your pound for pound top UK like British fighters of all time? Uh, top 10 British fighters of yep. all time? Yep. Um, and that's looking at him in terms of what he did in the ring and what he did out of the ring. This whole Sky thing is a Ricky Hatton creation. This notion that you have Brits going to America and thousands of people travel along. It's a Ricky Hatton thing. Filling out the MEN is a Ricky Hatton thing. These, you know, these big events for fights that have no real significance. It's a Ricky Hatton thing. I used to blame. <laughs> <laughs> and then just, just got, got to touch on the amateurs. So everyone is now weighed in for the ABAs in all the various regions. This is a chance for people to really test themselves. While I have my views on what's happening in the London amateur scene, that shouldn't detract from the fact that this is really, really important for a lot of young guys who have dedicated themselves to making weight. I've got to nail my biases to the mast here. So good luck to John Pilata. Um, This is his last ABAs. You know, hopefully he will do himself justice and represent. Um, listen, a year from now, you guys will be glad you know that I've been mentioning John Pilata. Class act as a boxer. You know, probably the most athletic heavyweight I've seen. Um... Lad Courtney's weighed in as well. He he's you know 
Riddick Bow in the making. If he can just hold it together. So, you know, they, they'll be really good. My Ola Alausa, good friend of mine and a fighter. A lot, lot of time and respect for him. One of the nicest guys you'll meet in boxing. Unassuming, but deadly in the ring. And then all the guys like Jerome Campbell, uh, Mohamed Garib, all, you know, the Islington lot. Good luck to all of those guys and to the ladies as well. So congratulations, you know, to some of the ladies on making, you know, you all made weight and stuff. Good. Big shout out to Rosanna Cox. I know Shaz is high on her potential, so I'm going to say a big shout out to her. Good luck to her. You know, she she runs with JP and some of the other guys. I know, so good luck to her. Hopefully everyone comes home safely. Everyone just give their best. Come home safely. Do your thing. And remember, we all do this because we love it. So love it, enjoy it, and enjoy the experience because you'll make friends for life and you'll have memories you can tell your kids about. Do we have anything else to add, gentlemen? No, I'm spent. <clears throat> Michael Conlon won. Don't really care. St. Patrick's Day was fun. Apparently in the Coronet right now in Elephant and Castle is really going off. If you guys know about the church on Sundays, that's going off properly. So there's going to be people vomiting outside my flat, which is going to be nice. Might drag a few in though. <laughs> Wait, is it going to be like your uh, Serengeti? Yeah. <laughs> Picking out the weakest. No, nah, nah, well, I don't know. It'd be like a leopard. You know, you see the leopard just jump into the tree with the antelope. <laughs> Typical noise. This is pure crime watch. <laughs> sake. And yes, Mr. Chapandama actually boasted about it before he did. <laughs> Comparing himself like a predator in the Serengeti. Here, here we have here we have footage. Mr. Chapman's words are spoken by that of an actor. And you know, they'll get some fucking random guy. Like, That's why we release this on a Monday, so Terry can get his work on a you know, Sunday without pre-warning. He'll be on Crime Watch and say, Terry, Mr. Chapman's words are spoken by an actor. This bloke will go on for like 25 minutes. Back in 1940. What do you got to think about before you talk about my crimes? Is it 1925? <laughs> I want the guy that did Jerry Adams' voice. Because <laughs> he's not working much now, is he? <laughs> now, look, look, Twitter, Twitter, look, I need to go on holiday at some point soon, in the next, like, week or so. Can someone just give me destinations? I've run out of ideas. Destinations, anything of interest, tweet me. That's all, you know what I mean? Help me out here. McGinley, start showing your value, man. Like, come on, man. The only person that sent us a question is, well, all right. Yeah, no, but we expect a lot of Dave McGinley. Yeah. He, he's much vaunted, you know. Right, so homework for this week. Come up with some new features. Think about Terry's holiday. <laughs> holiday plans. <laughs> Send in some kit. I mean, you've got your own work. <laughs> if someone could do an alibi for Terry for this evening, that would be fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> well, yesterday evening. Yeah, it depends when you're listening. If you could say you were with Terry Sunday after tech. Got five people just saying they were all with Terry. <laughs> Leeds, Rotherham, yeah. Amsterdam. <laughs> and, and look, one, one message, right? And I'm being deadly serious about this one. Oh. Share the fucking podcast for <laughs> God fucking sake, man. <laughs> Shit, everyone listens, says how great it is. I'm like, now retweet it, tell your friends, make them listen to it. Nah. <laughs> They've got too much to do. They've got to look for your holiday destinations. <laughs> They've got to try and get some, you know, some branded toasters to send in. Yeah. T-shirts. Anything, really. Got to uh, hustle to hustle. 
Oh, we need to end this podcast. We're done. Right, thank you very much for listening. Get in touch with all of your po- all the posts and stuff you need to send us. Just get in touch yeah, on Twitter. Tax bills. We'll give you the address. Yeah, if you need any tax advice on yeah. stuff like that, pay it all cash. Uh, anyway, right. Thank you very much for listening. Oh, whoa, whoa, one more thing. Oh, 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 here we go. <laughs> if anyone is in contact with Andy Ailing, tell him he's got to cough up that money, man. We're waiting. You know what I mean? To clarify, this is your bet. Yes. <laughs> this is the bet that I won. He needs to honour the bet. Get hold of him. He, he he Facebooked me and he said, did you use PayPal? I said, yes. Gave him the details. And it's all gone quiet, you know? Maybe he's drained my account. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. But much love to Andy, though. No, no. He, he seems a man of honour, so hopefully this will happen and <laughs> it will lead to good things for everyone, you know? But, yeah. If you, if you, if you tweet him, if you Facebook him, just say, Andy, you know, pay your debts. I think I've had an email in the past. We can't even talk about that. That's embargoed. <laughs> it's right. all embargoed. All right, right. Just get it. Let's, let's end this now. Thank you very much for listening. At New Age Boxing UK, at New Age Podfather, at The Seven Wolves on Twitter. Thank you very much for listening, and we will see you in a week. Bye.